Avraham Avinu refuses to receive Ma'arasamachpela, the Keba Machpela, as a gift, and insists on paying full price. Why? Welcome to Parsha Sashavur with Rabbi Garari. This week in Parsha's Chayesara, we read so many beautiful things. Essentially, it's called the Parsha is called the Life of Sarah, but actually, the Parsha begins with the story of Sarah's passing. Sarah Imenu passes away. Yak, uh, Avram Avinu comes and he is looking for a place to bury. And he comes to the Bnei Ches, the people of Ches, who were at that time judged by, led by the judge Ephron, Hachiti. And he wants to get Ma'oras HaMachpela, the cave of Machpela, which Avram Avinu knew was already the resting place of Adam and Chava. And he wants to purchase Ma'oras HaMachpela to be the burial place of essentially the patriarchs and the matriarchs, which eventually it became that way. It was Avram and Sarah, Yitzchak and Rivka, Yaakov and Rachel. But we know that when he comes and he talks to Ephraim Achiti, there becomes quite an interesting dialogue. And the dialogue um, is about how he's going to get it. So Ephraim Achiti at the beginning is very gracious. He said, you don't have to pay for it, you can take it. Um, then Aramino says, no, he absolutely insists on paying the full value and he buys them and their neighboring field. And then Ephron says, no, okay, you want to pay for it? Arba Meyer Shekel Kesef, 400 Shekel Kesef, which Aramino agrees to, but not only does he pay the 400 Shekel, he pays with great currency, very valuable currency, he pays the money with over la currency that would be internationally accepted and it could be used anywhere. In other words, he ends up paying a very, very high price. So what actually happened there? Why was Avraham Avinu so, so insistent? So I just want to share with you, first of all, an interesting comment from the Rabbeinu Bachaya. He starts off with a, uh, an interesting observation. that He says, Tzadikim oimri ma'at v'oisim harve. Tzadikim Say a little, but do a lot. Why? We find, for example, Avram Avinu, when he was visited by the three angels, he said, please come in, please eat something, and I'll take some bread and I'll give it to you. So he promised them bread, but then he went off and he asked Sarah to take three measures of flour and bake these cakes. And then he went to the cattle and he gave them the most expensive piece of meat and delicacies and he put on for them a tremendous banquet. He under-promised, but over-delivered. That's what the, the, the Medrash tells us. But Rashaim, wicked people, they say a lot, but they, only, they don't even do a little. One of, the, one, of the, one of the sources for this is from Ephron. Ephron said to Avram Avinu, okay, this is worth 400 shekel, but at the end he took much more than 400 shekel. He took the 400 shekel, and Rabbeinu Bechai ends up by saying, Ephron was in fact not a good person, he was a wicked person, and he's, had an he enoy tsara, he had an evil eye, which means he was stingy and greedy, which in Hebrew is called ayin ra, a bad eye. A good eye means someone who's generous and 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 wants to give others and wants to share with others and so on. A bad eye is one is someone who wants to just amass um, resources for himself and is greedy and stingy. And then he points out that the word Ephron, the name Ephron, which is the name of the person that we're talking about actually has the same gematria as Ra-Ayin, a bad eye. Now, 
Then he goes on to explain, he says, well, why is it? So why is Avramovino so insistent in paying for it? Um, which then Efron took advantage of. Because he was a soine matonis. He resented taking gifts. There is such a concept. We know that many, many people, there are people who are... Uh, we have a custom not to accept gifts because there's a posse which says, He who hates gifts will live. Um, and this is the way of the righteous, says Rabbeinu Bechaya. And we find a similar concept in Tanakh. When David HaMelech became king and he finished off the battles and he conquered Yerushalayim, he, went, he then went to the lay plans for the building of the Beis HaMikdosh. So there was a barn that belonged to an individual called Aravno HaYevusi, Aravno the Yebusite. And, Avram, and, and David HaMelech wanted to acquire that spot. That was the spot on Harabais. And he wanted to acquire that spot to, um, to build the base of And originally Aravna said, you can just take it. It's no problem, it's yours. But David HaMelech said, no, I want to buy it for a good price. And so he did. He bought the barn, he bought Harabais, he bought the Temple Mount spot for the base of Mikdash. Rabbi comment is, it's all because of this idea of soyne matonos yichya, he who hates gifts will live. And this is the way of tzaddikim who don't like to take gifts and they like to pay full price. But there's a little bit of a deeper idea which explains as well, and I'm going to share it with you. And it's, it comes out of the Rashi because we see this link between what happened with Avraham Avinu and David Melech very, very, very much linked. Because Rashi's comment is where... Avraham Avinu says, "Bekesef mola yitnenoli," that I will. I'm looking for Ephron Hachiti, and I'd like to take Ma'aras Hamachpela, and he, I want him to give it to me with full price. So Rashi makes the comment, and he says, "Ashalem kol shavio," I will pay its entire value, which is exactly the same thing that David said to Aravno when he bought the spot of the base of Migdosh, "Bekesef mola with full price." So why why is that? And what's the link? So the Lubavitcher Rebbe once explained the following idea. Because it's very interesting, we find, before we go into the idea, just an interesting observation. There are three places, three spots in, in Eretz Yisrael, in the land of Israel, which were bought. Not just rightfully ours, but bought, actually purchased. And they are the most, ironically, the most contested places today. The first one is Hebron, of course. Hebron, the Yomaresa Machpelah, the place of the burial of the forefathers. Hebron is such a contested city. The burial place of Yosef, which is in Shechem, another very contested area, which they even bought to be able to bury Yosef there. And of course, Temple Mount, which David HaMelech bought from Aravna HaYavusi. So let's just talk about the two things of the Ma'aras HaMachpela and, and the Temple Mount. So we know that both Avram Avinu and David HaMelech did not need to pay for that spot. Because like Avraham Avinu said, it was rightfully his. Hashem had already promised Avraham Avinu the inheritance of the land of Eretz Israel. And we know one of our rights to Israel was, was the promise of Hashem. It's called our inheritance of the land. Another way that Eretz Israel becomes ours is through what we call kibush, conquering the land. Which David HaMelech did, Yoshua first did, and then David HaMelech fought many wars. And David HaMelech had conquered Yerushalayim and it became the legitimate under the legitimate ownership of the Jewish people. And therefore, really, David Melech didn't have to ask David Melech for the place all. He could have just taken it. It was his. He was the king of Israel. He had every right to take the place of the Temple Mount. However, there's the concept of 
the places in Israel which are the most spiritual. Ma'ara the cave of Machpelah, is a foundational place. It's the place which really represents our origin, represents our beginnings. It is the place where the burial of our patriarchs and matriarchs, our foundations, take place. The purchase of the, 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 the spot of the Temple Mount, of course, again, is very foundational. It's the place of the Beis Amigdash, it's the place where Hashem will reveal Himself, it's the place which ultimately became the center of the universe. We believe that Eretz Yisrael is the place that gives Hashpah, gives sustenance, it, it gives the flow of sustenance from Hashem into the entire world. In Eretz Yisrael itself, the Beis Amigdash is the key, it's the center, it's the foundation of Israel, and therefore the foundation of the world. We know the Beis Amigdash was built on a spot where there's, with the Chazal tell us, there's the Evan Hashesiah, the foundational stone, which was the foundation of the creation of the world. It's an incredible place. So the idea of Avram Avinu wanting to buy Mu'aras HaMachpel and David HaMelech wanting to buy um, the, the, the barn of Aravna Yavusi, even though that's something that didn't take place with the rest of the land of Israel because Lester of Israel is rightfully ours anyway, but what they wanted to do, both Avram Avinu and David HaMelech, was spiritually speaking, remove any connection from anyone else to that spot. So of course, the whole entire Israel is ours, but we got it from somewhere else. We conquered it from them. We, it was inherited from them and so on and so forth. But in order to make sure, we know that the, the best way that you can transfer ownership, which, is, which is, becomes very obvious and clear on all levels, is purchase. And therefore, because we're talking about two such special foundational spots in the land of Israel, both Avram Avinu and Dovan Amalek wanted to, wanted to buy those parts, and they did, they bought it for full price, because that was the process of removal of any connection to anyone else to that spot of land, in order to make way for the intense Kedusha, the intense holiness, that would in fact be in those two places. That's why Rashi says, that when Avraham Avinu says, Bekesef Mole, I'm going to pay, pay full money, it's the same as Dovah Melech saying, I want to pay full money for the spot, because both of them had this intention of making way for the intense Kedusha to be revealed on that spot by removing the connection, the, any, the complete connection, um, which, was, which, might have been connect, which might have been on that spot connected to anyone else other than the Jewish people. Unfortunately, this concept is not well known and this concept needs to be understood by everyone because, as we said before, ironically, these are the spots that are most contested. I just want to share with you one final idea on the Pasha. We know that uh, in the Pasha we have the, the, uh, the portion to do with the, with the marriage of, 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 of Yitzchak. A whole story, Yitzchak cannot leave Eretz Yisrael. Eliezer goes to find him a wife, brings back Rivka. Rivka then um, comes and Yitzchak takes her to the tent of Sarah and she became Sarah's substitute. What happens is that he takes her to the tent and it says she took the tent of Sarah. And Rashi points out what actually happened was that there were three miracles that happened during Sarah's lifetime in her tent. And those miracles came back when Rivka took her place in the tent. Uh, the three miracles were there was unknown kosher, there was a cloud connected to the tent the, the entire time. Neir doluk meshabas the Shabbos, the Shabbos candle would burn from one Shabbos to the next miraculously. And Brocha Metsuya Be'isa, there was a special blessing in the dough that it stayed fresh and it was, it was, you ate just a little bit, you became satisfied, and so on and so forth, which would be there in the challah that was baked for Shabbos. 
So two, two points to make about that story. First of all, we have an interesting idea that this Parsha that we read this week is called Chaya Sora, the life of Sora. Interesting name to give this Parsha when in fact it is the death of Sora that we talk about, not the life of Sora. But yet we know that the life of Tzaddikim is not only their physical existence, in fact the life of every Jew, the true life is the eternal connection that we have to, to, to the Neshama. The true life of a person is really the legacy that they leave, the Maisim Tovin, the, the, great, the great deeds that they leave. In other words, if the inspiration of a person continues on after they live, that really is an indication that their life was a true life. If a person lives a life of emptiness, that when they're gone, no one knows about them and no one's inspired by them, that's not a true life. But if someone lives a life where the legacy inspires people beyond their physical life, that is an indication that their life was a true life. Therefore, we read in this passion many things, but one of them just pointing out now, the fact that Yitzchak brought Rivka and that Sarah's, Sarah's inspiration continued on in Rivka. She became like Rivka. The marriage, the home they built was like Sarah's one to the point where the miracles that Sarah had were reignited with Rivka. That's a true indication that Sarah's life was in fact eternal, that she was a righteous woman and, and, and had the internal uh, life beyond her physical life. That's why the Pasha, although we read about a passing, but the Pasha, the entire Pasha, actually indicates and actually emphasizes Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah. One other point, one final point on the story is we know this idea that all the stories which you read in Bereshis are called Maisa of a Simon Lubon. And what happened to our patriarchs and matriarchs gave, gave way and was an indication and inspired what happened to the descendants. So interestingly enough to point, and the Sochachov Rebbe points this out in Shem Shmuel, they said that actually the miracles that happened with Sarah were replicated in the Mishkan that the Jewish people built. Sarah's home, Rivka's home, which had these three miracles, became the Siman for what was going to happen in the Mishkan. We know in the Mishkan there was also a cloud hovering over the Mishkan as a sign of the Shekhinah, the divine, pre- the divine presence. When they lit the menorah, the menorah was lit in the Mishkan to burn every night, the entire night. But we have recorded in, the, in Gemara, in, and, and, and we know from Chazal, that there was an amazing miracle in the base of Mikdash and the Mishkan, that the Neymar Ravi, the candle that was most west, would actually continuously burn, miraculously burn much longer than the other candles. Now the candles lasted the night, this candle lasted 24 hours, and was constantly there. Similar to the miracle that Sarah had, that the candle was lit for Shabbos, but lasted the entire week. And finally, the other miracle of Sarah, they had Bracha Matsuya, that there was a special blessing in the bread. We find in the Mishkan that the 12 showbreads, the Lechem Haponim, had this amazing miracle that they stayed fresh and warm the entire week, even though they were baked for Shabbos, but they remained fresh and warm the entire, the entire week. And of course, by extension, this is an idea which we have to then implement in our own homes. A home should be a place where there's a cloud of the Shekhinah, Dwelling in the home, a home should be a place where the divine presence feels comfortable there. A home should be a place where we have experiences of Kedusha. They're not limited to the time we have them, but they inspire beyond their time, like the Shabbos candles. And of course, all of this brings the bracha, that when we live in a home, we create a home that is filled with Kedusha, a tremendous bracha is found even in the physical experiences in the home, like the bracha Matsuya Be'isa, the bracha that is found in the dark. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful Shabbos.